Hello and welcome to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers. Located on the web at wideteams.com and on Twitter at Wide Teams. This is episode 87. I am your host, Avdi Grimm. And joining me today, I have Mike Hostetler. Is that how you say your last name? It is. Cool. Um, Mike, uh, why don't you kick things off by just introducing yourself briefly? Cool. Thanks. I am the founder and CEO of Append2. We're a company that formed out of the jQuery project three and a half years ago. Uh, I myself was a founding member of the jQuery project and project team. And a couple weeks after jQuery itself was formed into a nonprofit, the Software Freedom Conservancy at the time, we formed the company. And we've grown steadily. And we're not so much focused on jQuery anymore, but we focused on the modern web, JavaScript, HTML5, and all the technologies associated with it. So really excited to be here. Very cool, and I am excited to have you. So so let's talk about why you're on the show. You um, at Append2, how big is your team? Um, we've currently got about 28 people, 20 mm-hmm. full-time employees, a couple of part-time employees and contractors as well to get to that 28. And are you distributed in some way? We are. We're we're 100% distributed. We do have a, a central office, um, but nobody works there. So it's currently in Colorado. We're in the process of moving that to Illinois. Uh, I've relocated from the time since we started the company till now, and hence hence moving the office here. Mm-hmm. And everybody works from home. We don't have any office space. And how how sort of far and wide are you distributed? Everybody right now is in the continental U.S. Early on, we did have people both in Europe and in Thailand, hmm. if you can believe that. It was kind of a hack because the guy living in Thailand pretended to live in Oregon, but <laughs> he he lived in Thailand. And so we paid his parents' house in Oregon, and, and that worked out really well. So we didn't have to deal with any international issues. Mm-hmm. And how did that develop? Were you just uh, finding people that you knew from the jQuery project? Well, we early on, when we were planning out the company, we saw how well it worked in the jQuery project to have a distributed team. That team was spread out even further, South America, Europe, Asia, North America, and everybody uh, just worked really well together. And a previous company that I had, Prior to starting a pen to, I noticed in the way that that company was built, it was a, a Drupal consultancy. I really didn't like having to go in and talk to our clients uh, in an office specifically. There was no none of that geographic freedom, and I wanted that personally. That meant a lot to me. So when we started a pen to, we in, made the very intentional decision that we wanted to not only structure uh, our client relationships that we would be able to work from home, but the company, or excuse me, not the, the company relationships that we'd be able to work from home and our employees could be remote, but our relationships with our clients that we would be remote too, achieving that kind of full geographic freedom. Anybody could live anywhere, time zone, 
geography, whatever they wanted. So it was very intentional for you. What motivated that? Yeah, we'd experienced it to some degree and we decided to go all in. At that time, you know, even in just three and a half years, the systems and processes have come a long way to make it even easier. But three years ago, it was really straightforward to be able to kind of establish a remote company. The other key thing, and, and this is, it's a subtle decision as part of the remote that we made, but it's kind of a funny story. We were sitting around talking about a pen and we decided we wanted to be a completely decentralized company from an infrastructure perspective. So the, our joke was we could put a bullet through our laptop and be up and running in two hours or less, accounting mm. for the hour and a half round trip to the Apple store to pick up a new laptop. And we followed that through from two people up to where we are now because, you know, in the way we wanted to build the operations and the infrastructure, we wanted everything to be, you know, backed up. We wanted to have all the systems and, and habits in place that if somebody did drop out or, you know, their internet went out or, or I mean, all the things that could happen, the company wouldn't be affected. Mm-hmm. So we actually started with the company design rather than starting with the idea we wanted to work remotely mm-hmm. and, and designed it that way. That's, that's really interesting. Can you uh, expand on just like what are some of the strategies that you take to make uh, your infrastructure distributed? So the way we start with sort of our decentralized infrastructure is with our email calendaring solution. And we use Google Apps for that. Four years ago, it was didn't cost anything to set up a Google Apps domain. I think there's a cost now, but it's, it's pretty trivial. And that sort of is the backbone of our infrastructure. From there, uh, on the financial side, everything goes through QuickBooks Online, which is, you know, it's a, it's a great online accounting solution. I think if we had to do it now, I would choose zero, even at the size that we're at. But QuickBooks worked really well for us. Our accountant was familiar with QuickBooks Online, and we were able to get a lot of services that synchronized with that. The next piece is file sharing. We used Dropbox for a long time. Again, when we started, Dropbox for Teams wasn't out. So we ended up paying people for individual Dropbox accounts. And we've recently switched over to a solution called Ignite, which is a more enterprise-focused Dropbox for file sharing. And, And those three really are what we primarily use. Um, Skype is our communications platform. There's some subtleties to Skype, uh, that we've, have prompted us to keep using Skype versus something like HipChat or Google Talk. Uh, it has a lot to do with presence. Hmm. And, and this is, this is really one of the key things we've discovered in the remote versus non-remote environment in that you lose that human element of walking into the office. And that's actually a really key event during your day because it signifies that mental switch. Right. So, and when you say that, are, are you talking about the mental switch for you as you walk into the office or for the, the team as they see you walk into the office? Uh, both. Yeah, both. both. Okay. It, it really, we've seen benefits on, on both sides of that equation because people if they don't have that presence of where you're at or an easy way to identify and understand where you're at, you lose 
some of that relationship quality if you're, you know, go looking for somebody or it slows the organization down. So when we log into Skype, the first thing we do, and, and everybody is trained to do this in a pen to when we come on uh, during our onboarding is that you say good morning, right in Skype. That there's, we have an all hands chat. Everybody's in there. Say good morning. Indicate that you've arrived. Uh, we then put a lot of emphasis on the Skype status indicator. So we train people to use that, you know, go do not disturb if you want to avoid interruptions. Uh, it's completely okay to go heads down and log off Skype. Again, if you're stepping away, mention it in our all hands chat. So you make sure to communicate that presence. When you say, when you leave for the evening, communicate that you're leaving for the evening and you're, you're you know, stepping away, you're done with work for the day. If you come back in the evenings, you don't necessarily have to indicate that you're working, but you're you're around, um, you're present. That is one little hack that has really gelled our culture because people, they know who's in the office. Mm-hmm. It's been pretty cool. And, and non-tech people who don't normally sit on chat all day in open source projects or that sort of thing in that kind of environment – as we've hired more people without that background, they have really enjoyed that aspect of it mm-hmm. because it translates for them so easily to offline to online environment. Right. That's that's really cool. I like the uh, the emphasis that you put on saying saying good morning when they uh, when they come in. I'm curious. I mean, does everybody pipe up in response? Because I ask because you know one of the things I found is that sometimes I'll start off with a team doing that. And then if I don't get any response every, you know, if I, if I say good morning and it's just, you know, nothing, you know, crickets, um, that like leads me to eventually stop doing it. Ah, sure. So we, we intentionally don't respond, right? There's an exponential response curve there as we've grown. Okay. So, so you get kind of the, 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 you would get the thing where everybody pipes up and it's like nothing but good morning. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, how, how back and forth could it go? So this is why we cover it in the onboarding and then we lead by example Mm -hmm. as people come on. Just say good morning. The intent of that is to indicate that presence. No response necessarily is needed. You know, you can shake it up a little bit. Maybe you throw in a YouTube video. Maybe you go to Google Translate and say good morning in Chinese. I I don't know. People have some fun with it. But Mm Because we are all on the same page of knowing the purpose of that simple habit, mm-hmm. uh, we don't run into that problem. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So you're you're very intentional about that when you bring someone on. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. do you what is that like? Do you just kind of do you just talk it over with them? Do you have like a document where you've written all this stuff up? I'm always yeah, curious we, about how people do that stuff. Sure, yeah, we have a whole onboarding process. I mean, a lot of it's the you know standard HR stuff, but we have. An onboarding process where we talk a lot about these um, habits and expectations. They, they're, your, they're part of the employment expectation to participate in the community that we've built. Mm-hmm. My fundamental philosophy is humans are humans. And by studying humans, you can gain insight in how to create a remote environment. Because you take something as subtle as saying good morning that's a very human thing that when we are trying to just relate with one another, that good morning, that presence 
indicates you know just where you are and sends out that message saying I'm around I'm available I'm here to work and so I've sought when we've as we've built the company to put in those small types of habits that reinforce the human relationships and in doing so make a better remote environment right you you put the remote environment as a symptom of getting the human relationships right right I'm curious, when you're bringing somebody on board, do you try to meet up with them in person? This is an interesting one. We used to. We now no longer try to do that. And I know a lot of people may disagree with this or maybe you know choose to do it differently. I, we've had a lot of success without uh, necessarily trying to bring people together. Practicality is we're distributed any, I mean, our, ourselves. Where would they go? It's a good right. question. Um, <laughs> have a, have again, a sleepover you, or something. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a hotel down the street from my house, but it's not that exciting here. Right. I mean, what value does it provide to bring somebody to make that connection? If you do have a, a central office, I call it like the hub and spoke configuration of a remote company versus completely decentralized. Like mm-hmm. it sounds really weird, but I, my background is software development and if you're building a company, you think of it, I think of the way the company is laid out in a network paradigm, right? We're, we're building, if somebody falls off the network, the group of a pen to, uh, yeah, you have to go through the offboarding and it's sad to lose somebody, but the company itself, the network doesn't, um, can respond very easily to it. Right. Versus if you have some, if people grouped at a hub in a city, that aren't plugged into the network in this decentralized way, mm-hmm. you know, the, the risk there, the cost there is much higher. Risk against what? I, I don't know. Doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. Just, you know, as engineers, we, we have this image of the right way to do it. And I've always thought that was the right way to do it. So. Right. So, um, I want to dig into that a little. And this is, this is probably going to sound a little bit vague as a question. So I apologize sure. in advance, but are there any things you do to encourage that decentralized, you know, non-hub and spoke mindset in, in your team members. I mean, apart from the fact that they are obviously, you know, they are all distributed. Mm-hmm. We we've actually taken it a step further in that one of our core values in the company that we've stated is the ability to work from anywhere. It filters through every decision that's made in the company from myself on down. And mm-hmm. for us, a core value is something we're willing to be punished for, which sounds trite, but yet... That's actually a great it, insight. Yeah, when you get down to it, case in point, client wants you to come on site. It's a mm-hmm. great project. Would you go do it if it required you to show up somewhere? And your answer is no. answer would be no. Absolutely not. We will go, again, focusing on the human relationship side of it, to do an introduction Break bread with somebody, sit down, do that initial on site. So we end up traveling and that's okay. But the requirement to show up somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, we, we won't participate in. And that's why it, this is, it goes beyond just the ideal of remote working. It filters through our philosophy of doing business. Mm-hmm. And that, that can be a mental leap for some people, but I think it's now permeated our culture to the point where everybody gets it. And mm-hmm. we do a lot of uh, meetings and welcome 
we balance it with a sense of community that we try to build. So when somebody comes on, we do a go-to meeting that you know everybody goes around and introduces themselves. Or mm-hmm. we do a lot of video to create those connections. Because again, if you can get the human community part of it right, the remote side is a natural side effect. Sure. So I'm curious um, what language you use to explain yourself uh, and your, your way of working to clients when when you're making that connection. It's really no no different than the type of language I used when I was more geographically central, you know, mm-hmm. located in Colorado. We just we don't emphasize it a lot. Okay. Um, people know it about us, and they're mm-hmm. starting to get more and more interested and, and curious with how it works mm-hmm. from a client's perspective. Because case in point, uh, they're trying to hire somebody. Mm-hmm. They've only had an office. How do they pull somebody in? You know, when they're in a part of the country that's not known for a thriving developer ecosystem. Right. It's a great question. And so we get asked about it, but we, we actually, we downplay it. And mm-hmm. in talking with clients, we focus on responsiveness. Mm-hmm. So a client wants to know that you are actively working on it and it, it, it's the perception of responsiveness. We have the way we structure our teams. We have an engagement manager whose whose job it is to be responsive to the client and answer their questions and to buffer between the technical team. That has proven really really critical. But that's I mean it's kind of you know a good consulting practice. Mm-hmm. We focus on you know delivering sustainable solutions. So we, as a stated goal when we're in our initial sales conversation, is we try to work ourselves out of a job. Right. Again, kind of consulting practice, you know, good consulting practice, but lends itself to the remote as well to, to pull that side into it. I, I would say it's a component and it's weaved through everything that we do philosophically, but it doesn't get thrown out there in front of clients. I, I would say it really reflects itself as a benefit back to our culture, mm-hmm. company cohesiveness and productivity. Mm-hmm. So um, if you would tell me just a little bit about like the day-to-day dynamics, um, how closely are people working together? Does everybody kind of do you, do you kind of split up tasks at the beginning of the day or the beginning of the week? Do people work together in pairs at all? I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, um, how close versus, I, I don't know, distributed is the wrong term, but, you know, you're working as a team. Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, you know, structurally as a company, we're pretty traditional. I have a lot of thoughts and philosophies about the, the newer matrix style or flat organizations coming out. We've chosen differently to, to be just more traditional. We have directors, we have VPs, we have people that you report to. We have that classical management structure and that naturally teams naturally fall out of that. So, Currently, I manage one department directly and then three directors report to me that manage their own stuff. One director doesn't have any direct reports on the sales and marketing side. He's the only person. Um, the other director has one direct report on mm-hmm. our products team. And then the last VP has everybody else. <laughs> so <laughs> his team is then organized in a way where people rep- there's a reporting chain there. When we get onto specific projects, there's two people on every project, an engagement manager, which handles deadlines, budgets, and communication. 
and then a tech lead who is responsible for the technical quality and delivery. And then everybody on that team will report to the tech lead, but it's not a formalized management position. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're point person. Okay. So we don't do a lot of pair programming in, you know, intentionally. It does happen. It's, mm-hmm. it's great when it happens, but it's more of a practical sense. And we're all focused and aligned to get the job done and do the job at a quality level for mm-hmm. our clients. So, you know, everybody that we've, hired on and pulled on board, we're not about following, I guess, a rigidly a particular way of getting things done for the sake of that way of getting it done. We've often molded ourselves to a client's processes uh-huh. because we're the experts coming in. We're the special forces that come in and get the job done for them and then get out. Right. And that's the pitch. And so, you know, I, we often leave it up, leave, you know, some discretion to the teams for how they go about doing that. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of autonomy in to, you know, master how they get from point A to point B because they're, they're really good. And mm-hmm. yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about, uh, lifestyle stuff. Sure. Uh, first of all, you have, uh, you have children, right? I do. I've got three daughters. And was that a, an impetus in your desire to work remotely? Partly. My story is an interesting one. I left my office job for wor- the working at home world three months before my first daughter was born. So I went out on my own, started freelancing, and about the, had just gotten started in the jQuery project. I started a pen to the month same month my second daughter was born and through all of that working at home and being present in the in the house was a really really important there was about 6 months where my first daughter was she was maybe 14 months old where she could walk she could come down to the door and new daddy was in the office mm-hmm. but didn't understand why he wouldn't come out and play with her <laughs> yeah that's what I was um, explaining and, you know, sister number two had not arrived and that was a little bit hard. So I did spend some time outside the house then, but there's a, that didn't happen with subsequent children, but they're, they're really, I think the biggest benefit has just been a, a presence inside the home. And that's, mm-hmm. it's hard to quantify for kids, but I think there's almost like a, a safety or a security that they feel. Mm-hmm. Beyond all, you know, going out for lunch or something. I often eat lunch at my desk, even, you know, I'm, I'm that guy that, you know, I, it's hard to, to switch gears to go out for lunch, but we, right. we do, there's flexibility. Mm-hmm. I, I work a pretty regular work day. So the way we've just structured our, our home environment, I have starting and stopping times. Mm-hmm. I tend to lose track of the clock. Mm-hmm. That's why I've done that. I've recently, as like 4G has come out, we've started, you know, traveling a little bit. Last year we did a trip to Florida where, you know, two and a half days driving down there, we went, state went down for a month. I was able to work along the way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, what I would call really effective and, and potent work, but I was able to keep up with the, you know, fire hose, which was really helpful and good. Done right. that more often. There really is, you know, beyond just that geographic freedom, kind of a, you know, a feeling of responsibility and ownership over where you go. 
it's hard to describe, but without somebody telling you to show up anywhere, and this is where the core value that we've put in place comes into play in that, that, you know, there's work, people tell you what to do at work. There's less there that you just have to manage of where you do it. You can then focus on the task Mm -hmm. and that, you know, ideally results in a better outcome and you can put more energy there rather Mm -hmm. than putting so much energy towards, you know, getting to the location or showing up somewhere or, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You can optimize it yourself. So, so you feel like there are some productivity benefits there? Oh yeah, I would I would definitely say there's productivity benefits. Cool. Now, um, do you have any other other projects that are worth noting? Um, you mentioned uh, in the pre-show that you've got a, a newsletter that you do, right? We do. We have a a newsletter that's focused on trends in modern web development. It's called the Modern Web Observer. You can find it on our website at append2.com slash MWO. Sign up and uh, follow us there. And we've got a lot of cool projects. Um, Some will be coming out here in the next uh, sort of eight weeks or so. And, yeah, just keep an eye on our blog at append2.com slash blog and follow us there. Cool. Uh, well, you've already covered how people can find out more about Append2, but uh, let's talk about you. Where can people find out uh, more about you online? Sure. So I currently blog at my website, mike-hostetler.com, M-I-K-E-H-O-S-T-E-T-L-E-R.com, and also on Twitter at Mike Hostetler. Awesome. Well, Mike, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And that is our show for today. Hope you've enjoyed it. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Go to yteams.com. You can also find the show in the iTunes Music Store. The Y-Teams podcast is distributed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. Our music is by Giles Boquette. Until next week, this is Avdi Grimm signing off. Why, 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 why